need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Okay, thank you everybody for tuning into episode 81 of China Business Cast.、Uh, it's Mike McElhaney here, and as always, my amazing co-host Shlomo. How you doing, buddy? Hey, hey, hello. So, what's going on this week? What's been happening?、Uh, it's been a busy week. I trying to、uh, have time with some friends, and I'm like,、uh, let's do it towards the end of the week, and they can do it in the end of the week. Basically, I was most of the week was around. Israel Mobile Summit. This is a conference I went to with、um, my company App in China, and and it's all about、uh, apps and ad networks and and things like that. So obviously, speaking with the clients, going to a party. So that was a a fun and busy week. I really really enjoyed it, and it it was a really good conference. I think the best one of those conferences that were. Here in Israel for the past, it, it's running for a few years in Israel. And I think so far it's the best one. What about you? Yeah, I've been doing good. Uh, just uh, I know you feel I've been under a lot of stress lately, and I have some interesting things happening. Um, I'm I'm at the point now where I'm considering making some moves.、Uh, been in China over ten years, and wife and I have been having talks since the summit, actually since by April, about、uh, making. Making some moves to different parts of Asia. We want to stay in Asia, but so in July I'm going to be looking around at Thailand and Malaysia and、oh. maybe even Nepal. Yeah, to make a make a new life move. Wow, that's a big announcement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean,、uh, I'll make a video blog. As some listeners might watch some of my videos, but Mike'sBlog.com/slash/makingmoves. If people are curious to see, should be online by the time the show goes live. Guys, Mike needs tips of or of moving. So, if you're either you said Malaysia, Thailand, or Nepal, Nepal, then、uh, send us uh, uh, comments or or、uh, messages on email for hosts at ChinaBusinessCast dot com. Yeah, let us both know. Yeah, <laughs> he needs contact. I'll keep a I'll keep listeners、uh, posted how this goes. <laughs> Okay, so how about you? What are you working on, Shlomo? So I spoke、uh, last time. I mentioned、uh, free financial self.、Uh, been working on that for the past、uh, seven or eight months, and now I'm happy to say that、uh, I'm offering something which I call financial fitness call. So basically, I help solopreneurs and freelancers track and get control of their personal finances. So it's no longer a distraction and a point of stress. That's the promise,、uh, and this all this should be aligned with their desired future lifestyle, and that financial fitness call can help you figure out if you're financially fit to actually do that. And then, obviously, I can also see if I can help you further with my program. I have a program, so、uh, if you want to get in touch, you can either do that through WeChat on my. Uh, add my ID. That's Shlomo F S H L O M O F S H L O M O F, or on email Shlomo at ChinaBusinessCast dot com. Get in touch. Yeah, yeah, guys, definitely take them up on this offer. It's it's amazing.、Uh, totally no strings attached. To, he's very passionate. I mean, he's been helping. <laughs> I I did it with Mike. I did that that、uh, financial fitness call with Mike. Yeah, I mean that's maybe even what's led me to、uh, making my moves.、Uh, you know, we 
looking at life and uh, financials and everything else. So yeah, definitely take them up on this amazing offer. Thanks. Um, and we have a review today. Woohoo! Thank you, everybody. Thank you, reviewer. That's from Anthony. Let me read it. That's from Anthony from yesterday, June 7th. So, China Business Cast is probably one of the best podcast and reliable source of information regarding China. Each episode brings us a new guest totally different from the previous one. That's what makes China Business Cast so interesting. I must listen for every Chinapreneur. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Um, Guys, these kind of uh, reviews help us being more visible and get more listeners and uh, enlarge our community. So please uh, leave us more reviews on iTunes or Stitcher. This one is from actually a platform that we don't know called uh, CastBox. So I guess they're syndicating this somehow. But thank you, Anthony. Any platform helps. Yeah, thank you so much, Anthony. We, Shlomo and I always talk about reviews when we do this little intro talk and it makes us happy. <laughs> And, and also we, in top of reviews, we always enjoy having people interact in our WeChat group. It's a great way to stay in touch with other listeners. And we have our amazing community manager, Verena, helping us moderate that. So you can add her directly on WeChat and she will make sure you get added into the group. I would suggest doing it soon. It's getting more and more people and there are limits to these WeChat group sizes. LU. P P V E and the number one L like love U like umbrella P like puppy P like puppy V like Verena E like energy and then the number one. So thank you Verena for helping us out with this and other, other things we appreciate it. And uh, at the community as well. Awesome. And to our guest today, uh, I made this interview a few days ago. His name is uh, Sonat Yatsinkaya. And um, this guy has extensive experience in using big data to calculate and predict future sales for big corporate, including he works for uh, Philips, for uh, Midea, and uh, he he was opening new fronts for them through e-commerce. And recently, he quit his high-paying job. He was working for corporates and starting his own AI company in China. It was very interesting. He had a very interesting journey. Pretty freaky guy in a good way. And what he does for his uh, lifestyle and nutrition, I'm also, we, we had a whole discussion about this. That was really interesting. Um, so uh, let's dive in. Let's tune in. Great. Awesome. So hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of China Business Cast. And today we have Sonat Yatsinkaya. Uh, Sonat, I hope I pronounced your name right. How are you? Yeah, all good. Hi, guys. Doing great. Thanks. Great having you. He just told me that, that this is his first uh, podcast interview in the mainland. So uh, I hope, uh, Sonata, you'll survive. It will be easy on you. All right. Fingers crossed. Everything so, so far so good. <laughs> so... Um, Sonat helped multinational companies increase their sales in hundreds and millions or perhaps billions through his experience with big data and now AI. He takes big companies' brands overseas and using, uh, using big data and AI to do that. And he's also the author of the book, uh, Three Months Online Store, Build Enterprise-Level Online Store Under Three Months. And you live in Shenzhen. All that is correct? All that is correct, and I will keep it a little bit more humble to say I help, as you can imagine, the big corporate companies 
I support sell around tens of millions to uh, yeah, profit wise uh, to uplift. Okay, okay, great having you. Um, Thank you. So, you had very successful academic life, and from a very young age, you've showed high intelligence in doing so. But then you quit and went into industry and becoming an entrepreneur eventually. So why was that transition if you were so successful in academia? Yeah, uh, thanks. Honestly, by the way, thanks for a lot of compliments. So uh, thank, thanks for that, first of all. And I'm really humbled by your comments. And um, so what happened in a nutshell, when I did my double master's, my, my, when I did my MSc in quantitative marketing, the data set I used for my thesis paper, thesis defense was on uh, at Philips. So I was an intern at the same time. And I used the big data of Amazon. So we were actually, I was the first person at Philips history to work with Amazon retail data. So, so when I was doing my master's thesis at Amazon data, it, it was a really eye opener for me. And that was the most valuable data source for Philips. And, and we were able to predict amazing things. And as I get the PhD offer at the end of my master's, I said, I want to stay with this data and, and see what's next. And funny enough, during my tenure at Philips, as I come in, uh, Amazon was our seventh biggest customer. And when I left, it was number two in the world. So um, I'm glad. I think I'm glad that I made that choice. And it's amazing things I go through with uh, that Amazon data at Philips. Wow! But as as I understand from the research and and pure conversation that we had with the researcher, you said that the people at Philips didn't really believe the predictions and the suggestion that you had at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So how did you change their mind and to realize the power of data? Yeah, this is a funny one because like. If, if I was in the same position, I would also not believe because there's such a long history of uh, data points and the way Amazon came and changed everything. Uh, example of this, the most crucial things is sales and more important, the market share. So in every market, you want to know if your campaign worked, if your latest, you know, the um, activation to bring you the market share. So what happened before Amazon data? We had market share numbers uh, from panel data. So they go, uh, these agencies go to Walmart, Target, all these places, and they just collect the market share data. So it means that it's usually six to eight weeks uh, delayed. Let's say I did a campaign in Christmas. Uh, Let's say I'm doing a campaign in Black Friday, November, December. I only get to know the results in January, end Uh of January. Uh, What happened, like when I stumbled upon it, Amazon, I can find the sales data and market share data from the T minus one the day before it was, I was representing that to the C level at Philips. It was just like, nothing was the same before, to be honest. And because suddenly all your strategies can change overnight. So you don't need to wait at the end of the campaign. You can do a real time and completely change your activation uh, placements, marketing material, all that stuff while you are still live. So that was the first time that, People were just blown away. And for the predictions, they, because the history of the people who work with retailers were key account managers. So they had long history at Walmart and Target, all those places. These In these organizations, usually sell in and sell out happens quarterly. So you put a lot of stuff in the end of quarter and you hope it will sell out. So you don't need to check, check out all the time sell out. You just celebrate your sell in to the customer. And next quarter, you find out. But at Amazon, we were able to see sell out information the next day. So the people who hired for this task was uh, more old school in that sense, like Walmart and Target background. Mm -hmm. So they were not expecting. So they 
uh, they literally didn't believe uh, this was not possible. This was possible. So that, that was the biggest mind change, the mind shift happened mm-hmm. in our organization back then. I understand. Now let's shift uh, uh, fast forward to your time in China. So we talk a lot about uh, cultural differences and adjusting to the Chinese cultural and working in China. You you uh, worked for Media, and Correct. I wanted to ask you um, what brought you there and what did you do there, um, but also what was your first impression of working for a big Chinese corporate and how did you make it work? So all these cultural differences and getting used to that. Gotcha. Great question. Yeah. So to be, I, I want to be frankly honest here. So when I work at Philips, I work like more than 20, 30 digital countries digitally and never, never in China because China was mainland. China was uh, China for China locally managed. So we didn't do anything from headquarters. So I, I work with Japanese to Korean to Southeast Asian up to US, but never in China. So I think some, some sort of destiny. So I was waiting for my idea to happen. And I just got a, I just got a phone call like two and a half years ago, three years ago almost. And they said, we heard about your Amazon story and we are, we are we were really into going global and we, there are already some best practices and we cross-checked you with our connections and we really uh, want you in and can you become our head of global e-commerce and at the time i was 28 29 years old and for a guy at this age it is an unbelievable opportunity very and, impressive and yeah i was and i was reporting to the ceo directly at philips in a startup so i was in a i was having i just got a mortgage my girlfriend moved in I was reporting to the CEO. Where was that? So I was like, it, it was in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam. So yeah, before I come here, so I was in like, I was just working for a startup, amazing startup, reporting to the CEO directly as a digital manager. So I got a mortgage, my girlfriend moved in. So it was really a, a big change for, uh, you know, from settling down. And I said, okay, at least see. So they, uh, they flew me into China to show Guangzhou, uh, Meidi history and, you know, the ambition. And the, the thing that was really interesting for me that to be young at a young age, uh, given this opportunity. So they um, be able to bring a Fortune 500 company as big as Philips uh, to the world. And again, I was in mainland, but I was not working for the mainland market. I was helping my go global. So the biggest culture shock, um, where can I start? I never worked for a Chinese, Chinese company before as well. So I was here in China working for a domestic company, which is Fortune 500. So one of the key differences is the, the history. Because if you're working for a Dutch company or other multinationals, they have a long history and of, of international experience. And they're quite used to diversity in that sense. So when I was at Philips, our department was, let's say, 35 people, and we had 25 nationalities. Mm-hmm. So... From day one, I was so used to, you know, discussing something with the Italian, making the land on uh, in, in Indonesia, then getting confirmation from American. So I was so used to this chain. And, and suddenly in here, the key thing was this time I was responsible to bring this diversity to a Chinese organization. And that was that was the biggest cultural change. So that was amazing for me that uh, Chinese corporate culture was so open to learn. You're literally building, you're literally, literally building the bridge. Correct. Yeah, correct. Exactly. So that for me, so I need to go to the product divisions to understand these products because I knew the markets relatively better because I already worked a lot in, in, in Europe, US, Southeast Asia, 
but the knowing the products are definitely in in the uh, in the divisions. What is interesting is the biggest change is because China has a big manufacturing history, and so what happens in manufacturing is that OBM or ODM global multinational companies come and say, hey, I want this product with these specifications, with these features. But they never tell you as a Chinese to the Chinese company why they need it. Why they need it is because they talk to consumers all the time. So these global competitors of Chinese brands have been talking to global consumers for three, four generations now. So they know why they need, let's say, let's say a laptop. They know why they need that many gigabytes of RAM or that many processor speed. But when Chinese companies produce and for years, for decades, and now they want to build a brand, they don't have the reference point why these futures are recommended, requested in the first place. So the biggest challenge I see culturally for Chinese companies is that they know how to do it, the, how to deliver it. I have no, uh, no uh, doubt they can deliver better than any country in the world. I, I believe in made in China more than any other country, to be honest. Uh, the, the biggest challenge is why to do it and who to deliver to. So the biggest culture shock was to close that bridge, to understand why shall we build this for Indonesians and why Americans care about this while we can do all these spec, spec sheets. And the second thing was when you build these things, the content, the content is king. The way we communicate with our consumers, because Chinese uh, manufacturers, I see not only my idea, but many examples that there's a Canton fair and there you just talk to the B2B buyers and you just tell, okay, this is the product spec sheet I have. So this many rotations, da, 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 da. So do you want it or not? So that's an end of discussion. So you sell it and it's gone out of China and it's all the marketing, four P's of marketing, except the product is done by a global company. Mm-hmm. But now you need to write every content yourself. You need to tell the price story, placement story, product story, promotion story, because now you're not doing sales only, but you are doing marketing. So uh, that's why uh, the biggest challenge for any Chinese company, including software, is global marketing. And especially for software, I see the biggest challenge is user experience and, and the right content marketing towards the audience. That was, in a nutshell, I will say, some of the culture shocks. So when you're describing all this, is that what they call, and this is what you do with other companies now, uh, the e-commerce strategy? That's what you did from AD? Correct, correct. The e-commerce strategy for global markets. I see. So many traditional uh, mega brands in China are starting to catch up with the e-commerce trend. When you compared what did you do for Meidi with other Chinese companies, what Meidi or Mida did right when the others still struggle? And also what essential elements needed in order to implementing a successful e-commerce strategy for Chinese brands? I think the last part you already talked about, but how is Meidi doing with others uh, versus other Chinese companies? Great question. Yeah, uh, when I joined Mighty, I just really take s- slow steps because I was in a new in- universe. I wanted to understand what is the ambition, what is the background of the company. So I'm just going to tell this from Mighty's story and Mighty's story, which I will try to take it global from that. For Mighty uh, or any Chinese company, the key, let, let me start with the common denominator. What happened in e commerce in China is there's nothing like it in human history. So there is no compare. The, the most advanced e-commerce market in the world is China by far. 
not even by a small margin. And there is the reason for that is not just simply Alibaba or Jindong, etc. There's much more things in the making. If you check the history, oh, there's amazing logistic network in China built by the government. And there's amazing internet penetration, smartphone penetration built by the government. And the best more smartphone companies in the world now coming from China. And last but not the least, the smoothness of payment methods, the WeChat Pay and Alipay, is unheard of anywhere else. In Russia, it's still 80% cash on delivery right now. In other countries, credit cards. Southeast Asia, almost all cash on delivery. So my point is China is coming from an amazing infrastructure background. The biggest mistake any Chinese company will do to assume that their success happened in isolation. Because including the success of Alibaba in Jindong, forget any regular manufacturer, mm-hmm. they could have never happened in any country in any decade, in any time in human history. Because the conditions were perfect from logistics, from smartphone penetration, from internet penetration, and to payment solutions. So that's one thing I will say to be cautious, to understand globalization from China. You will not have the infrastructure in these countries. What we did differently is when I first started, I the key goal for me to understand where Alibaba and Jindong go so we can partner together. For them, Russia was key and Southeast Asia was key. So I picked those markets to go to Indonesia and Russia first. Indonesia didn't work out, but Russia did in the fir- at first because, again, infrastructure. Indonesia is composed of thousands of islands with not clear logistic network. And so what happens if you're in a major appliance company, you are highly relying on logistic network. So in our case, one thing I will say, first of all, be careful about your category because e-commerce is about logistics a lot. And if you are, if you are a 3C, like cell phone, computer, camera company, that's relatively easy because, or if you're an apparel company, it's relatively easy because the package size is quite low. You can even do cross-border. Mm-hmm. So first question to ask yourself, what is your domain? So what is your category? So don't not to benchmark yourself with any category to check logistically. Does it make sense? Is it feasible that market for you, for your category? So what we did differently at Maidia, we invested in countries that we already had certain brand reputation and already established logistic network because e-commerce Unless you are pure player from, you have no history, like uh, you start directly e-commerce, like the anchor company in China, etc. If you have history, you need to rely on current offline uh, distribution. Unless you are new, you need to find out, okay, what is my current logistics? What are my current distributors, wholesalers and partners, mom and pop stores? Because e-commerce is just a channel expansion, which happens to be online. So that doesn't happen in vacuum or in isolation. So what my idea did differently is that we already analyzed our logistic network because once you do e-commerce, you don't do B2B fulfillment anymore. You need to switch the B2C fulfillment, which means your whole fulfillment center and warehouse has to change. So that, in summary, we picked the ones that we find ourselves capable for B2C. So for that reason, Russia was a great place for us because Russia had amazing momentum. People know my dear brand. And on top of that, our logistic need infrastructure was quite, uh, quite established. So that's why I, I picked Russia. And I basically wrote a strategy, the PNL for three years. I hired the team, 
and set up the organization and we were able to go live in six months. So that's what I'm really happy about. And with full assortment. So every single thing that we sell in Russia, more than 200 different SKUs, which are even kitchen sets, we were able to sell uh, through our uh, MyDia M store online. So that's what we did, I will say, as a, as a different approach. Like the China Business Cast and want to get involved? We have special offers for supporters of the show, starting from just one U.S. dollar and up. We have something for everyone. Check out all the different ways to engage at www.chinabusinesscast.com slash support. That's www.chinabusinesscast.com slash support. Thanks. Very interesting. Let's talk a bit about AI, because this is what you're doing now. You're starting an AI startup now. And I want to know more of what's the story behind that, how it started, what's the idea, what stage you're at, and of course, why China out of the rest of the world? I, I know that you're already in China, but maybe there are other places to pursue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Like when it's when, when it's about AI, I can talk for days. Like, I, uh, we <laughs> I we don't it. have days. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. As sharp as possible, in a nutshell. So what happened? I was I was always interested in AI uh, in the topic because uh-huh. nothing will be the same in in seven years, ten years time. Like I don't see it, like there's blockchain, there's VR. I know, but the thing that AI will do to humanity, the impact will be bigger than fire, invention of fire, electricity, internet, anything you imagine. So for me, the thing like I always wanted to be in the industry of, of AI. And during the Maidea tenure, I wanted to integrate AI to our e-commerce solutions. And my initial idea was to have search engine completely visual. And, and you can go to Maidea store online and you can just search anything. So thanks to my idea and my, my title, I was able to meet the best brains in the world for AI. I was in US, Europe, and China. And I talked to them, okay, I want to integrate your AI engine or on computer vision to, to my idea tools, my idea M-Storm. And they said, we, we tested together. And I found out the category uh, of any appliance, technological devices, is not perfect for visual recognition. Because if you just take a MacBook Air, year after year after year, it almost looks the same. It only changes once a year and it almost looks the same. So if you want to check air conditioner, it's the same. So for AI to be trained to read the patterns, there's not much data pattern to read in any ways. So I noticed that if I want to build, build my future in AI, if I stay in appliances for now, I will not be able to grow fast in terms of uh, not enough able to, data points enough to create enough search for this. Then what I did, I asked, so, okay, what is the best category for this? Then we start analyzing and fashion and furniture uh, is the best because if you think about fashion, it's uh, fast fashion. The products change almost every day and the amount of patterns in a, in a, in a, in an apparel is just unlimited. So there's so, if you are hungry for image data and in a domain, fashion is like a nirvana to train an AI engine, a computer vision. <laughs> so that's why, yeah, this formula. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to fashion. So, so that's why I said, okay, if I want to build the, the, the most user-friendly AI app in the world facing B2C, and I want to work in search, uh, and I want to do it visual search, so the way to be is fashion uh, for now. And because 
my experience in Southeast Asia giving me so much feedback saying 80% plus of people do fashion shopping online and they're like cross-border. So I said, okay, I can even do from China fulfillment and everything and build it from here. And why China? Because the, 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 let's say why Shenzhen? Uh, because Shenzhen, when I came here, I, I've been to Shanghai as well and I've been, to, I've been to Guangzhou before. I, I fell in love with Shenzhen, to be honest. It's so fresh, so new. Everyone is from different parts of the world and parts of China. Mm-hmm. I, used to live, I used to live in New York. Uh, in Manhattan, I, it gives me that feeling because man, in New York, everyone was ambitious and young and fresh and they want to make impact. But New York is a small village. Yeah. <laughs> the population-wise, I think population-wise, <laughs> next to China, everything is a rounding error. And like Shenzhen for me, like give me the feeling of that kind of inspiration. There were, and, and I'm like, my house right now is literal one minute walk from Tencent HQ. And I can, the one thing I will say, if I want to hire talent uh, for AI, this is the place to be. Second, if I, the entrepreneur environment is so fulfilling. We, I, I have go to the founders meeting, meet other entrepreneurs. It just, we just motivate each other. And I'm here for just short term, but they give me so much inspiration. We share everything with each other. And last thing is because it's fashion, I am literally with less than one hour in Hong Kong. And I'm meeting amazing people in Hong Kong as well, especially for fashion too. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. I'm going to a fashion event as well. In almost every week, I'm going to a fashion event, a Founders <laughs> Club in, in Hong Kong. So I think just the planets aligned, I guess, for me. And Shenzhen for AI, for tech, for entrepreneurs, and Hong Kong for fashion just sounds awesome and great place to be right now. So Soyaka is an app? Yeah, be- so Soyaka is the name of my company because... Uh, my parents really love my surname, <laughs> my name. I wanted to keep it like the easiest to pronounce version my, of my name and surname. So I call it Soyaka AI. Uh, that company stands for the vision of AI I have in mind. But the app we are building right now for fashion is called Shocks. So S-H-O-X, Shocks. Mm-hmm. And we'll be going live in Indonesia in a couple of weeks or so. And the um, the app is about... Uh, visual search about fashion. It's literally, we are building the biggest fashion store in the world, which you can search with any image. So our idea is that, let's say you're a fashion shopper and you see a celebrity on Instagram anywhere. Mm -hmm. The point is that if you want to search in text, you have no idea how to guess the keywords. And if you want to search by image, you need to download it, you need to crop it, you need to upload in just a handful of apps you can use. So you're limited in your e-commerce options. What we want to do at Shocks to let you literally screenshot any single app you want. And only thing will be a notification coming down saying from Shocks, hey, do you want to shop that? And suddenly we're just going to say yes. And the Shocks will find you all items in Southeast Asia, more than 5 million SKUs and more than 20 retailers and more than one. Very cool. Brands. Very cool. Yeah. So that's the idea. <laughs> Okay, um, we're getting towards the end of the interview. So I have one last question. So it's being said that you have very unusual daily routine to make your work efficient and eventually making everything work. So I want to hear more about that. Why do you do that? And maybe some tips for other entrepreneurs. Oh man, this is is so funny. It keeps on coming up. And I think I'm getting like a, a little bit notorious with my eccentric nature. So I want to keep it sound as normal as possible, like a normal human right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll try hard. So what I, 
um, like the uh, what I what is the point behind this was when I was at Philips, we are obsessed about this full engagement training. Training. What it means is that it's not about managing your time; it's about managing your managing your energy and and your presence. And I'm I'm a really big fan of meditation as well. Like I've been meditating for years now and built to ash, been to ashrams, some isolation, didn't eat food and silent treatments in Nepal's. So I was into the meditation part as well. So it was for me, the, my religion, my direction was how can I be in the moment now in, in being present with people or the things I do? Because there's so many amazing people in life that you come across sometimes once in a lifetime opportunity and you want to be there. And now you don't want to miss, miss out on that. So that was my philosophy when I came out. All these things I'm going to tell right now is not for the fun of it, but my end game was how can I never have this post-lunch dips, feeling sleepy, tired, not focused on people or the things I'm learning. So I can be almost always on and, and in the zone alone and with people. So that, that's the, the reason behind. So what I do usually for that. So what I noticed is the book of habit. We have limited willpower. Power. And it's like a muscle. And what happens with that, that you really want to limit the number of decisions you make every day. That's why you see um, Zuckerberg with the same t-shirt and Obama had only two pairs of uh, suits. So not so he can focus on more important decisions. To that end, what I do is I wake up every day at 4 a.m except for weekend one day. So I usually every day 4 a.m. awake and do my meditation, etc. And I don't check any email, any communication device. Uh, I'm on airplane mode until 11 a.m. So until 10 a.m., let's say. So I'm, I'm six hours every morning completely focusing on things I have to finish. I want to finish. I want to learn. Then at 10, I go to gym or do sports. And, and 11 starts my day with others. To, to simplify. And I check my emails and respond all the emails, all the WeChats, everything you can imagine between 11 and 1. Yes. And 1, yeah, 1 to 5 p.m. is my engagement. So right now, this is exception. So we are at 6 p.m. So that's how much I love this interview. <laughs> Normally, I always do 1 to 5 p.m. Uh, working with others. And what I do differently is that um, I work in Pomodoro. Have you ever heard about the Pomodoro before? Yes. It's the 25 ah, minutes perfect. and five minute break. Yes, exactly. So I always work in Pomodori, plural of Pomodoro. Uh-huh. So I usually pick topics that take three to five Pomodoros at least. So at least three, at max five, which means I pick topics that I will be focused for one and a half to two and a half hours mm-hmm. because these are really important things I want to finish. And I work in 25 minute chunks and I take a five minute walk or something just to get distracted. That's one thing I do. Second thing I do is I compartment my day. So I, I have different topics, big themes. One thing is about creating something. One thing is about validating my assumptions. One thing is about uh, operating my company. So I work these chunks throughout the day with Pomodoro in between. Mm-hmm. And so basically before 10 a.m., I finish the things I don't want to finish, like the most difficult things that will take the most energy from my willpower. So when 10 a.m., when I go to gym at 11, I'm so relaxed to meet people because I have no to-do list tasks left in my head, like important ones. So I can be 200% happy and focused on amazing interests. That's great. With other, other, yeah, so that, that's my end game, to be honest. And to, so last thing to back this up, uh, I, you need to manage your diet as well. Maybe just a small one 
uh, last year in 2017, uh, I have been to uh, 52 countries in, in one year. Wow. So, yeah, which is 130 plus flights. So you can imagine the amount of jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have to go through. Yeah. And so what happens is that you jet lags and how to manage that becomes like a, I can do a PhD on that right now. And the food is the most important thing. And when I was Googling everything, the keto ketosis, the keto diet with uh, fasting, intermittent fasting seems to be the answer. So have you about heard these ones before the keto diet and fasting? I'm actually doing a paleo diet. So keto is kind of a sister of that or paleo is a sister yeah. of this so perfect. i know some about this perfect. perfect so we are two crazy people here i'm, I'm happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you you know just for the audience just a quick summary yeah, of course. the keto diet what helps with with me is that i only eat in fasting between 11 a.m and 5 p.m so I, only time i eat food i'm searching for food is just six hour window so i'm not hungry i'm not searching for things. So the reason I did first fasting, the reason behind fasting was uh, the, the searching for food during travels and everything was taking so much time from, and I need to digest the food I eat. So I close my window to not lose energy. So second thing, because if you eat carbs and regular meals, you, you always have a post-lunch dip because if you eat carbs, it triggers your insulin hormone and it stops right. your growth hormone. So what happens is that if you do keto, it's 80% fat and it doesn't trigger your um, insulin hormone and you don't have a dip. So that's why I get rid of my breakfast. I only do bulletproof coffee, which I will come back to later. Mm -hmm. And I do only keto diet from 11 a.m. to 5 and my, then my window is closed. And just last thing is that, have you heard about bulletproof coffee? Yes, I know that one too. But please go ahead and awesome. tell, tell, tell awesome. the audience. I love it. So right now, this is one of my favorites. I do, it, I do it myself. So I just go to Taobao, buy a really nice quality coffee. And I just buy MCT oil, which is a part of coconut oil, the useful yep. part of coconut oil. Mm -hmm. And the G butter, the Indian clarified G butter. Yes. And so... I got a small blender at home. I just mix G butter, two tablespoons, MCT oil, two tablespoons and my own coffee. And, and I just take that as a breakfast. And that keeps me going from 4 a.m. until 11. And, and I, I'm, I don't dip. So like in a nutshell, I do fasting from 11 to 5. I do keto overall and I do bulletproof. So that's, and I wake up at 4. So these are the possible <laughs> weeks. Yeah, people, people were talking about <laughs> as long as you're good with this lifestyle paleo is not as crazy and i've done a few times uh i i drank uh, bulletproof coffee but we don't have any left of it so we're now without the bulletproof coffee um but um i uh, i think you and me have a lot to discuss after the show <laughs> awesome i'm sending you the taobao links asap after this awesome bulletproof stuff awesome <laughs> so um we're at the end of the interview so Guys, if you want to get in touch directly with Sonat and ask him anything about uh, AI, big data, or how to get your next uh, good paid job in, in, a, in a big Chinese company, then send him a WeChat at E-R-T-A-N-Sonat, S-O-N-A-T. I'll repeat that. That's E-R-T-A-N-S-O-N-A-T. That's his uh, WeChat ID. And his email is sonat at soyakaai.com. We also have it in the show notes. You can look up there at uh, chinabusinesscast.com uh, at episode number 81. 
And last thing is you can look up his name also on LinkedIn. Everything is there. Sanat, great, great, great having you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Shlomo. Thanks for everything. And for the guys who's reaching out to me, I always like, I can imagine you have so many questions about different things, but don't hesitate about asking weird questions about diet. And I actually <laughs> like even talking more weird stuff about like AI, future, are we going to all become robots? Like if you have crazy stuff, you feel weird, please reach out to me. I love talking to weird <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Great having you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.